I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come into the house this morning as you do and that you would minister to us. I pray that you would uh, guide us with whatever, whatever star uh, we need by which to pilot this season. I pray that your voice would go out to hearts who need it. I pray for experiences that make a difference today. I pray that we'd all be changed at least a little bit before we leave. In Christ's name, amen. There's always more going on here than meets the eye. I think there's, there's always more going on in our lives, in your life, than meets the eye. I think that's the nature of life, and I certainly think that it's the nature of God. So let's start up with the warm-up question. Everybody's tired. Everybody roll your shoulders. Everybody lean right, lean left. Everybody give high fives to the people next to you. I realized listening to Larissa this morning that when you clap, that's giving yourself a high five. So you can give yourself a high five. It's a little narcissistic, but we'll go with it. Here's your warm-up question. Here's your warm-up question. What would you like out of the service today? You came today. You braved marathon traffic. You braved exhaustion. You showed up. What do you, why? What do you want out of the service today? Jesus. Oh... Brownie points in heaven. The answer is always Jesus, yes. If Jesus wanted, uh, were, to, were to, to do something for today or, or give you something today, uh, what, what would it be? So think about it for four seconds. Revelation, that's interesting. Specifically, specifically what? Be specific in your answers. Share with the people next to you. Go. Go. Don't let anybody sit there and be quiet. Make everybody equally awkward. Everybody should be equally uncomfortable. It's okay if you feel awkward, as long as we're awkward together. All right, all right. Way to go. Now you've made friends. Thank you for being awkward. That's how we warm up. That's how we warm up. Were you really excited about your answer, Craig? Is that why you were waving your hand? What, what was your answer? You want me to be smashed with the Holy Spirit. I think that violated the rules of the question, but I will accept your answer. I will accept your answer. Anybody else have a really exciting answer? Nothing's going to top that one. Revival, revival, yeah. Let it, let's, let it start with you. Ah. Uh, I think uh, in life, uh, you know, two, two, two general rules of thumb. Uh, number one, you get what you tolerate. Number two, you find what you look for. And uh, this is uh, a season to set aside the bad things that uh, you should no longer tolerate. And it's a season to look for the fantastic things that your heart has been craving for a long time. It's worth noticing what those things, is, things are. I, I, I think that anything that gets created, anything that gets created, gets created for a purpose. Nobody creates things without a purpose. Even if you don't know exactly what you're creating, you're always doing creation for a reason. Anything that gets created has a reason. I think the universe, for example, is remarkable in that it, it has a reason for being. Uh, 
God created the universe, and we can, we can conclude that he created it for a, a purpose. He's doing something with his creation, and he's doing something in, in creating us. I believe that he created every life for a purpose. I think generally uh, our, our purpose in, in this life, in the sort of life that we know, is to learn to trust God and to grow uh, to trust that, that he is good. This is what we missed in the Garden of Eden. In the Garden of Eden, we knew that he existed, but we did not trust that he was good. And so, you know, we, we disobeyed him. We believed a deception instead. So the rest of life is, is about restoring that, that trust in God, the challenge of, of trust. And if we do well in that challenge, uh, then we get a reward. We get an extended life. We get a fuller life. We get an ongoing adventure. We get uh, eternity uh, which is a, a fairly significant reward. Uh, since there's a challenge of trust, any challenge has a decision point, and in this life, the decision point is Jesus Christ. Uh, and so God gave us a, a Lord, uh, birthed him into the world in very creative, extraordinarily beautiful and purposeful fashion, and that's what we celebrate every Christmas season. The decision is whether or not to make Jesus Lord, not just to believe in Jesus, but to make him master, because that's where the trust is. It's easy to believe. It's relatively harder to trust, to entrust yourself, and that's what making Jesus Lord means. It doesn't mean that you no longer have questions about things. It just means that you go to Jesus for your answers. You trust that he is, is, is the source. And the way that works out for those of us who follow Jesus as Lord is that we lead a ministry life, that we lead a life of doing what Jesus did, right? Uh, he described it as bringing the kingdom order, the kingdom of God to the world, uh, which involves a lot of things uh, that he taught about uh, in the Gospels. Uh, loving perfectly as God the Father loves, loving our enemies, uh, doing works of restoration, and trying to gather people up into the life of trust. God didn't just create the physical fact of the universe. It's not that the universe exists that is so remarkable. He created the story of the universe. The universe has unfolded in a way that has a purpose to it. It has a flow to it. It has a narrative. It has a, a story. But unlike a story that someone tells to an audience, God tells a story in, in a fuller dimensional manner. When God tells a story, he doesn't just tell it to the audience. He gathers the audience into the story. We get to experience and participate in the story as it unfolds. That's how God does it. So we're all living out the story that God has been telling since the inception of the universe. I think there might be wiggle room in this story. I think God has a, has a structure, has a purpose to the story, but it might be contingent a little bit depending on how we respond to it. You know, the Lord has a story for your life, but you don't have to cooperate with it. You don't have to. You don't have to trust God. That's what I mean by wiggle room. It doesn't change the structure that God has put into the universe for you. It just means that you will experience it worse than you would have otherwise. Uh, you don't have to cooperate with the story that the Lord is telling in your life. Nevertheless, as Matt was saying during the worship time, God has a plan. God has a plan, and part of our experience of God's story is trying to edit our plan until it fits into his plan. That's one way to look at it anyway. God has a plan, and it's there. 
uh, whether you're cooperating with it or not. Now, I think a lot about this. I think a lot about the story that God is telling in the universe, the, God, the story that God is telling in our lives, and I think a lot about the story that God is telling in my life, of course, uh, because I'm kind of self-absorbed that way. Uh, I think a lot about the way that all humans seem to be hardwired for purpose. You know, every psychologist will agree on this, that people want meaning. We are compelled, we are driven to find purpose and meaning in life, and I just find that curious. Uh, it's as if God built a desire for a story into every human life. I think, I think uh, a lot about that. I think about how our race requires purpose and meaning in order to stay functional, in order to get along together. I think a lot about the way societies fall apart and the way societies become unspeakably vicious whenever they stop believing that there is meaning in the world. Whenever societies stop believing in God, societies always break down, they always turn to murder. In fact, historically speaking, they always turn to genocide, um, stuff that I used to study back when I was a political science scientist. If you decide there is no God, if you decide there is no plan, if you stop looking for the plan of God, destruction always follows. That seems to be a basic principle of human existence. But here's the deal. Here's why I'm going through all of that. If God has a plan for us, if he's telling a story, if there's a structure to the flow of the universe, if there's a structure to the flow of life, then God kind of knows where it's going, right? That's the thing about storytellers. They have some idea about where things are, are going. He has uh, at least uh, some considerable amount of foreknowledge. And if that is true, then God can give us signs of what's to come. God can give you foreshadowing of what's to come in your life. God can give us hints about what the future at least should hold for us. And we get a ton of those signs surrounding the story of Christ. That's one of the fun things about reading Scripture as it builds up to uh, the coming of, of Jesus. There are, in, in, in the Old Testament, the, the older uh, part of the Bible, the older two-thirds of the Bible, numerous prophecies about the signs that will tell people when the Lord is coming. Uh, when, when this special someone is to uh, be born. I, I did some, some research on uh, Old Testament mentions of the coming Christ, coming Jesus. And, and they're like, I've got like eight pages here of tight, single-spaced. Like scholars who, who go through this stuff have, have found uh, literally hundreds of them, uh, a good number of, of dozens of them, are, are quite uh, significant, and it, and it started at the very beginning. Like, throughout Scripture, the oldest Scriptures, the oldest stories we have, there are frequently these mentions of this special someone, this anointed one, this special servant or special king, he's called different names, that is coming to kind of bring the story together. Uh, and it started at the very beginning, I mean, it started in, in, in the book of, of Genesis, the oldest book in the Bible, 
which was probably written down somewhere around 3,500 years ago, but maybe an oral tradition that goes back tens of thousands of years. The oldest stories in the human race are found in the book uh, of, of Genesis. And after the fall of Adam and Eve, after they have been deceived, and the deceiver has been revealed as a deceiver, once they realize their mistake and, and the source of the lie that has ruined them, then uh, God says to Eve, I will put enmity, I will put trouble, I will put tension between you and the woman. I mean, saying this to, to the deceiver, to the snake. And between your offspring and hers, this offspring will crush your head and you will strike his heel. From the very earliest stories, the people of God are like, what, 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 what's he talking about? There's going to be some war between some special offspring of Eve, some special human down the line that ends up wiping out the deceiver once and for all, crushing his head, taking his authority. From the very beginning, people were wondering, who's that talking about? Who's that going to be? Uh, Huge uh, numbers of facts and conditions of Jesus' life and his coming were prophesied in the Old Testament, and we rehearse a lot of them at Christmas time uh, from, from the, the book of the prophet Micah, the fifth chapter. But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Uh, a prophecy that didn't immediately make sense. Uh, to uh, the uh, ancient Jews who, who were reading it. Uh, this special someone that gets talked about in Genesis would be born in a town called Bethlehem, which was just this little town. Uh, but but this, it's, it's going to be a sign, you know. This person's going to be born there, and this person is going to grow up to be a, a major ruler over the nation. But I like the last line. It says, all right, he's got to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to become a great king, but his origins are from old. Well, I mean, I don't get that. Like, he's, he's born in Bethlehem, but he didn't originate there? You know, it's speaking of an eternal someone. Uh, it's a lot of theology in this, whose origins are from old or from ancient times. You know, it, it goes on. Uh, we read about how the Messiah is going to be rejected by his people in, in, in Psalm 118. Uh, you know, the, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of the building uh, of Israel. So this promised one will be rejected, which, which was a very re- weird, confusing prophecy. But of course, we see it play out in, in Jesus' life. Uh, Psalm 22 and, and Zechariah 12 both predict that this special someone, this anointed one, this Messiah, is going to be killed by piercing. Um, Psalm 22 speaks specifically of being hung on a tree um, hundreds of years before crucifixion existed as a means of torture, uh, very puzzling, but a sign. When you saw it, you should have known that something was up. Uh, Zechariah 11 mentions that this special someone uh, will be betrayed for silver. Someone will sell out the Messiah. Got so many uh, verses here. I'm burying my sermon notes. The... Uh, <clears throat> The verse on your program is a very famous Christmas verse that provides a sign about the coming Messiah. It's from Isaiah chapter 9. 
uh, the book of Isaiah is, was famous among ancient Jews uh, for containing prophecies about the coming Messiah from Isaiah chapter 9, verses that you may recognize from the telling of the Christmas story. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee, Galilee of the nations, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Uh, immediately, uh, the ancient Jews recognized that this prophecy was about this coming of, of the Anointed One, and there would be some connection between this guy and Galilee, uh, which was uh, a real funky place because Galilee was a backwater. It was like, it was Hicksville, you know? Um, but evidently, there would be some connection between Galilee and, and this great ruler. I love, I love the description, though, for to us a child is born. Again, this idea that a special someone would be coming you know, born, a, a, human, a human birth, a son. And he'll be a great governor. The government will be on his shoulders. He will be a ruler of sorts. But he will be called interesting things, wonderful counselor, great, mighty God. Now that's weird. And that would have been really weird, especially for the Jews, that, that someone born, that a human born would be called mighty, mighty God, everlasting father, strange theology there. And of the greatness of his government, there will be no end. It makes sense once you know the Jesus story. The thing about signs is they don't give you full explanations. They just tell you that you're on the right track. You can make sense of it later. Of course, with any good storyteller, signs and foreshadowings have dual properties, right? Like if you're reading a novel and there's some foreshadowing of what's to come, there's a hint but there's not a total explanation. And a lot of these prophecies about Jesus were like that. They were hints, but, but they were confusing hints. Like, I don't know, I don't understand how you can be born and be called everlasting father. I mean, what, what's up with that? Well, it took Christians a long time to figure that theology out. Uh, but it's there in the Bible to tell us that we were on the right track once we got it figured out. Signs are clear but somehow they can totally be missed. And I think that's true of our life. I think God says things to us that are clear, but which somehow we're not forced to notice when they happen. The thing about signs is that you have to notice them. The thing about signs in your life is that you have to notice them. There's a certain partnership. God will give them, but you have to notice them. My, my favorite sign uh, of the whole Christmas story uh, actually comes from the book of Daniel and it has to do with the Magi. The Magi are my favorite characters of the Christmas story. I mention them every Christmas because I think they're just, they're just, they're just awesome. I just love the Magi because when the Messiah finally came, everybody missed it except these foreign dudes who had to travel hundreds of miles uh, to see the Messiah. And, and when they showed up, it, it wasn't like at 
at the cave where Jesus was born, you know, unlike the major scenes. And they showed up uh, probably uh, uh, two or three years later, and they found the little boy Jesus. But they showed up. They realized uh, that something was happening. And they see this star in the sky, and they were astrologers. You know, they were pagans. And when they see a special event in the heavens, they're conditioned to, to think, oh, what does that mean? Right? They, they're conditioned to think the universe is telling me a story, and so when something weird happens, I have to figure out what it means, which is not bad conditioning, by the way. And they saw a star, and they're like, well, what event is this about? And they were in the courts of, of what today would be Iran, Persia, and so they went to their libraries to consult, and they found in their libraries some writing from, from this Jewish exile that served in the Persian court uh, several hundred years earlier, and the guy's name was Daniel, and we get his story in the Old Testament. So they went through the, the writings of Daniel, and they found in the writings of Daniel a really interesting prophecy from Daniel chapter 9. It's the prophecy of the 77s, uh, 70 groups of seven, uh, and I won't read the whole prophecy because I do it almost every Christmas, but it goes, uh, an excerpt of it is, is like this. Uh, the Lord says to Daniel, understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the Jews were in exile and Jerusalem was in ruins. And so God says, there will be an order. The king will give an order to go restore the ruins. And from that day until the anointed one, the Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. That's a total of 69 sevens, 69 times seven. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death. Well, that's a weird prophecy. The special someone that the whole Old Testament talks about, he's going to come after 69 sevens from the day the order to restore goes out, and then he'll be killed. What's well, that's a cruddy messiah. He shows up just to get killed. What's that about? Well, nobody understood what it was about, but it's a pretty good sign. I'll tell you that. It was a pretty good signpost for what was coming. So you, you do the math, 69 times 7, you get a number, and, and, and um, you, uh, you figure that that number represents years, um, and the Jewish year was like 300 days, not 365 days. Uh, so... That order, we know from history, because these things were recorded, that the king in, in Persia gave the order to restore Jerusalem on March 15, 445 B.C., plus 483 Jewish years. And you, you add it up, and you account for leap years, and it takes you to the first week of April uh, in, in 32 A.D., which happened to be uh, when Passover was that year. Um, you know, it, it corresponds precisely with the story of Jesus of Nazareth and his presence in Jerusalem on that year. It's just, just creepy accurate, written centuries before Jesus uh, was even born. And the Magi read that. And then they saw the star. And then they read the prophecy. And they star saw the star. And they looked at the calendar. And they said to one another, I bet it's him. Daniel was one of their greatest wise men ever. He was a legendary figure. So that we're going to go see. They noticed, and nobody else in the world did. Uh, signs are clear. They are creepy accurate. But it's amazing how easy it is to not notice 
them, to not notice the signs that the Lord has given us. The biggest sign about Jesus isn't the way that, that he, uh, his life, his birth, his, his life, his death confirm the dozens and dozens of, of predicted signs about him in the Old Testament. I don't think that's, that's the, the most Im- impressive thing, uh, the, the biggest confirmation. Uh, the most telling sign about Jesus is what happened after his death, in my opinion. I don't mean his resurrection, although that's predicted as well by, by the Old Testament, like in Psalm 16, which says, uh, you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Um, he'll come back to life before his body has a chance to decay. That's pretty accurate. It's a pretty accurate uh, sign. Uh, But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the history that followed Jesus' life on earth, that this guy from a backwater, that this this backwater Jewish leader from a backwater place in a backwater country uh, has come to influence the whole world. You know, the, the, the signs say, the prophecies say, of his government there will be no end. And there's just no natural explanation uh, for what happened. And we get to celebrate that at Christmas, you know, uh, around the world. There, there is no holiday celebrated more than this one. And it just testifies to me that these signs were, were accurate and that the, the creator of the universe has been telling this story all along. There's structure. There's wiggle room within it. I mean, we can cooperate with it or not, but dang it, this is the story. And it has been unfolding in a way that has been foreshadowed, that is authoritative and planned. I don't think there is any denying it. I don't think that we can go through the history or read the scripture, some of which is thousands of years old, and, and not have to wrestle with who Jesus is and to embrace the beauty that is the Christmas story, though it looks rough, (laughs) though it looked rough at its inception. Though you might not notice it at first, it has proven to be incredibly beautiful and incredibly, incredibly creative. Here's my point today for us. Chances are your life right now is filled with signs from God for you. I think that the God of signs is still the God of signs. And I'm pretty sure that he has filled your individual life with loads of signposts. I think he's been talking to you. I think he had a structure in mind for your life. Now, now maybe you've cooperated with it, maybe you haven't, but it's been there. And if you notice, see that's the thing, if you notice then the signs will be clear for you. And you might not understand them fully at the time, but they will tell you at least that you're going in the right direction. And there's something about that experience that is just typical of the nature of life. No sign shall be perfect, but they will be compelling if you let them. One of my favorite stories about this comes from the end of the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 24. And this is after the Jesus story is, uh, has pretty much been told on earth. He's been born. He's lived this incredible life. He's died. He's been resurrected. And then we get this, this, little, this little vignette story, this little add-on story at the end of the Gospel of Luke. Two, 
two uh, Jesus followers, not, not among the big 12, but just two guys that followed Jesus around. They were on, on the road uh, to this place called uh, Emmaus, and Jesus materializes with them, only they don't recognize that it's him. Uh, he's sort of occluded from them. And, and, and as they, uh, they sort of settle into uh, the inn for the night, the place that they were staying, they're discussing this Messiah, and they're discussing, oh, Jesus, we thought he was the Messiah, but then he was killed, and now, you know, we thought we had read the signs correctly, but evidently we didn't because he's gone. And then Jesus, in disguise, begins to discuss the scriptures with them. And we don't know exactly what he said, but evidently he went through all of these signs, some of which I've talked about today, and, and all of which kind of confirmed who Jesus was. And then, and then they start to share a meal, and then Jesus is revealed to them, and the two disciples realize, oh, it's him. It's him. We were right. We were right all along, and then he disappears. But you like vintage Jesus, right? He gives you just enough to know that you're on the right track, and then kind of like withdraws so that you have to keep what? Well, you have to keep trusting, which is the point of the story, which is the point of the story. That's why he behaves as he does. And then they said to each other, didn't our heart burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? See, that's the thing about signs. They create resonance in you, right? After the fact, once, once it had been revealed to them with, with glaring obviousness, they're like, oh, yes. Now we realize that we, we saw the signs. And we knew that we knew it was true, but we just didn't admit it to ourselves. Have you ever had an experience like that? It's like, ah, uh, I knew it. But you kind of didn't know it, but you kind of did know it, you know? That, that's faith space is what that is. God never beats you over the head and makes you trust. But when you realize that you should have trusted, it seems, oh, it was so obvious. Why didn't I do it in the first place? You know, you ever had an experience? Just say yes. Just say yes. You're right. Irrelevant. We're tired, but we're not quite asleep yet. All right, well, maybe. When I can hear the birds singing outside, I get worried. Somebody give me an amen. Somebody give me a Merry Christmas. I have experiences like that all the time where there's just, there's just a knowing in my heart, and sometimes I try to argue myself out of it. Um, you know, sometimes we say our spirit, our spirit knows, even if our head doesn't. I'm not sure how to describe it, but I think it is an experience that we all have some familiarity with. When there is a sign, we resonate with it, although we're quite capable of denying it. <laughs> we know. The sign, the sign is there. You know, a good sign... I think what the guys were saying when they said, didn't our heart burn within us? They were saying, uh, it made sense. It all made sense, and it felt right that we refused to trust it. It felt right. We knew what right was. It just seemed too bizarre to trust. It just seemed too disappointing uh, to trust in. That's, that's the human uh, experience and, and I think this is a truism. When you plug into Jesus, when you plug into the story that God has for you life, it feels right. There's part of your spirit that knows. It knows. You just have to know that you know. <laughs> it feels right because it's your design to resonate with it. 
meaning, a sense of meaningfulness, is your spirit saying that you're on the right track. This feels meaningful. This feels meaningful. That's the measure of, of, of a great sign. Uh, I can't tell you uh, the number of, of people at Blue Water who have said to me, um, the first time I walked into the church, um, you know, music was playing, and, and I saw the people, and I immediately started crying, and I didn't know why. Any of you have that experience? Yeah. Um, tons of people have told me that story. What's going on when that happens? You walk in, and you're like, what is that? Uh, and my wife and I usually say something in response like, well, that, that's the Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy, you were encountering the Holy Spirit when you walked in. It wasn't just that the people were really cool, but the presence of God um, was, was upon you, and your spirit can't help but respond to that. And, and whatever the accurate way to describe it is, you know. <laughs> I mean, you kind of know. You, you know, but not really, but sort of, and... It's, it's, that, it's that faith space. There was a sign for you when you walked in. You didn't see it with your physical eyes, but you read it with your spirit, and it said, right way. Right way. You know? And if you just notice, you know, there, there it is. I, I heard a story this week uh, from someone at church, a believer, who was telling me a story about when she was an early believer, uh, and, uh, and she was committing her life to Jesus, but she had gotten involved in sort of a reprehensible relationship. And, uh, and um, she was introduced to a non-believing man one day, and the non-believing man said to her, oh, you're in a terrible relationship, get out of it. You know, it's like, that guy had no business prophesying. He didn't even believe in God. Uh, but we call that a sign. We call that a sign uh, of trouble. And it's a very, very awkward moment, you know, uh, that she had to decide whether it, it felt meaningful or not. Uh, she chose to accept it as, as uh, meaningful. There'll be signs that you're on the right track, and there'll be signs that you're not on the right track. I have found in my life that when I'm doing something I know I shouldn't do, I have to work very hard to know that I shouldn't be doing it. You know what I mean? There are signs that say, this way lies destruction. And many of us exist in that faith space. We just refuse to see uh, the writing on the wall, which is a phrase that comes from the story of Daniel, by the way. We had an opening question uh, this morning. I said, what did you hope to get out of service today? Uh, what do you hope to get out of service today? And my guess would be uh, that one thing you might have hoped for, consciously or subconsciously, that many of you may have hoped for some sign from God, some communication from God that said, this is the right way, this is the wrong way. In one way, shape, or form, I think humans often crave that because we're all living the story as it unfolds. I say subconsciously or, or, or consciously because I think, I think, you know, it, it often feels subconscious. You know, it's like walking into a church for the first time. Maybe you're not even a believer, but you start crying. Why? Because there's something deep in you that kind of craves an experience of meaning, uh, a sign for meaning. And I think that's why Christmas is so 
inexplicably popular around the globe, even to people who aren't following Jesus, is because they behold the signs of the Christmas story, and there's something deep within them that says, this is meaningful. This makes sense to my spirit on a deep level. Yes, God, like us but different. God revealed as a baby. That's weird. That's, 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 you know, that's, that's barbaric. That's hard to believe in. A triune God, a baby that can be born and called everlasting father. It makes no sense. It makes no sense, but dang, it's beautiful. Oh, it is so full of meaning, I, I almost can't stand it. And around the globe, every year, millions of people have exactly that experience. It doesn't look like much, but man, it looks, it looks crazy, but man, it's what we call a sign that there's something to this uh, that we really ought to pursue and, and to which uh, we, should, we should commit. We all, we all want God signs. We all want God sightings. So, so a question I'll leave you with is, well, what's going on in your life right now? I am sure your life is full of signs. I'm sure of it. I've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. I can say this with some authority. I'm pretty sure God's talking to you. I'm pretty sure there's a story structure in your life, and the Lord has put signposts in your life. So what's going on? My, my only question is, are you noticing them? How's the Lord talking to you? Even if I've, as I've been preaching this morning, I'm pretty sure the Holy Spirit has been, you know, settling on some of you and saying, ah, see, that's a sign. You know. You know. You know that you know. You just don't know that you know that you know. So what is that? There can be a revelation uh, for you. Or what are the signs? How's the Lord trying to get your attention? The thing about signs is that signs don't make you believe. They don't but they give you a direction for your faith to go. And there's faith in all of you. Which direction is it flowing? Uh, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace, God with us, Emmanuel, God in us, Holy Spirit, um, I pray that um, you would settle upon us this morning and reveal yourself to us. Uh, show us the signposts of our own stories. I pray that you would reveal to us what we already kind of know. Uh, for those of us who are walking down a path we shouldn't, I pray, pray that oh, the red lights would be obvious. For those of us who see a path open before us, things that we know we should do, I pray that the green lights would be obvious and that you would uh, give us a, a special compelling this morning. I say a special prayer this morning, Lord, for those of us uh, who are encountering Jesus anew this Christmas season, uh, but who have never made Jesus Lord. The signs all point to him. Oh, I bless you in the name of Jesus uh, to let your faith flow in the Jesus direction, to go to him with your questions to make him your cornerstone of trust.
He's just part of the overall story that God is telling, but what an interesting part he is. If he had to design a Lord from scratch, he'd be a great one. I release to you this morning in Jesus' name a gift of faith for Christmas. Amen.